listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Everyone else, please take your Bible and open up with me to 1 Peter chapter 5. I am so thrilled to be back. Wow, this feels so good. I've been excited about it all week. I know. We, we've heard some great preaching the last five weeks. It's been awesome. Thank you for all the men in this church who stepped up and my friends came in and I was ministered to. Uh, I've never imagined I would take five straight weeks off. This is, I've never not preached two weeks in a row, and that was just because I had COVID once. So the fact that I had five weeks off felt, felt like an eternity. But when I came to the elders earlier this year and I said, hey guys, I think this, this July, this season, this baby's coming, this would be a great time just to take a, a preaching sabbatical, to just focus with the family. Uh, they, no questions asked. They were just all about it. Yes, do this. And it was a really healthy and needed time for this season of our lives. And I'm just so grateful for it. And I'm also really, really excited about being on a long, extended streak with you now, getting back to normal, preaching through God's word. So we're picking, right, picking up right where we left off. We're in a series called Chosen Sojourners through the book of First Peter. And uh, we left off at chapter four. So here we are. It's an honor and a privilege to be back to doing one of my very favorite things in all of life to do, and that is preach to this church. So let's dive right in. Verses 1 through 5 is our text for today, and I'm going to go ahead and read it for us. So please follow with me. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to those in the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So I listened to a podcast this week, and it was about churches that blow up. Great things are happening. They rapidly multiply. People are getting swooped in. And as they grow and, and things are just incredible, they gain a massive platform. And as everything seems awesome, before you know it, a church loses its way. And this whole podcast was, was about this, this sadly repeated pattern that happens to church after church. And it ever so slightly starts when... The church loses its purpose, its calling, its cause that Jesus has given it, and it starts to drift away to that, to a different platform. It's more about influence, maybe, or changing the culture, or just loving and accepting everyone than it is about preaching against sin and being for the glory of God. When that happens, one by one, 
people end up getting run over. They get disillusioned with the church sometimes. They feel trampled upon, hurt, and confused. And then something also finishes this off, and that is that the pastor will fail. And there's a fall. Pride comes before a fall. And in the process, people are crushed. So this podcast was a fascinating listen because it examined a few decades worth of evidence that celebrity pastors and churches that are built on a platform to reach as many people as possible, rather than for the purpose of glorifying God and worshiping Jesus Christ and meeting the spiritual needs of people, when you get off that track, you inevitably find yourself in very dangerous ground. And I've seen a lot of this myself firsthand. I've, I've witnessed it. Seen good men, charismatic leaders, great gifted preachers read their own press clippings. And as their head gets bigger and bigger and bigger, they start changing. They start mistreating people. They start doing unethical things that they would have never dreamed of doing and getting away with in the early years. Pride goes before a fall. So we're immediately diving into a heavy topic here, right? But the thrust of this passage that we just read is very, very obvious. And if I gave you just two minutes in the text, those of you who've been with us and are members here at Doxa, you could come up with the main point of this passage pretty easily. I'll go ahead and tell you. This passage is speaking on one core central truth. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's what this is all about. The last sermon I preached from this book, it was all the way back in June, and it was called Sojourner Pride. And we, in that message, we contrasted the difference between the world's pride that we see blasted in our face with rainbows compared to sojourner pride, the kind of pride that we as Christians have in suffering. In the final verse of chapter 4 was verse 19. Therefore, let those of us who suffer according to God's will entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And as I read this text already, you probably noticed, chapter 5, verse 1, starts with the word so. And in the original Greek, it's very clear there's a connection. Because of that, because of the fact that you are going to be suffering in this life. Remember the main themes in the book of Peter? Present suffering, living hope, future glory. Because you are going to suffer, people need pastors to shepherd them. And this is where Peter turns his attention to the elders of the church. And this is no game. To shepherd and pastor and spiritually lead people, that's as high stakes as it gets. It really is. We're dealing with people's souls and their spiritual well-being, and that, of course, is going to affect you physically and mentally to the core. So this same podcast I listened to, it talked about the military. It used, it used this example, which actually fits really well. And they talked about stolen valor, which is a thing uh, that if you, if you want to go down a, a YouTube rabbit hole, go ahead and just, just search that one day, stolen valor. And it's this idea where there's, there's men who are in the military who are like gatekeepers. 
And they see people who are like wearing a patch or clothing and pretending to be someone they're not. They're pretending to be this war hero. These guys will go up, you know, cameras are rolling, asking them questions like, oh, hey, where'd you serve? Like, and then they just end up drilling the person. Like, you're a fake, you're a wannabe. A real military hero would, have never, would never wear that, would never say that. It's stolen valor, and, and they don't appreciate that. Sadly, in the spiritual realm, there are a lot of people who claim the title Pastor Shepherd who are nothing but wolves in sheep's clothing. Some of you have came across people like that in the past. And it's what they do is they transfer the trust that comes from the valor of humble Christian men and women who have gone before them, who sacrificed so much for their flock or the mission field, the place that they were called to. So they take that built-up trust and love and appreciation that people have for that office and they, and they use it along with their own charisma to gain even more popularity and status. And if you blink, you can miss it as it's happening because what they end up doing is they build a platform for themselves instead of for Jesus Christ. And on, a, on our podcast, you know, recently I've been taking a deep dive into social media. I just, I just had one called uh, The Tower of Babel in social media. And then part two was this week. We're going into the good and the bad and the ugly of how that affects your life. And one of the saddest, most in-your-face examples of the church caving into the world and following the same world's mentality is when you see churches and pastors who have fallen into the same trap that politicians have fallen into and other professionals. And here's the trap. It's very, very deceptive. They no longer use the institution to serve people and protect people. Rather, they use the institution as a platform for their own personal brand and their own fame. You know, in, the, in our country, just think about it. Being a politician was never supposed to be a career. It was never be to, to be something where you could get famous and influence all these people. In this country, originally, it was intended to be something you did for a term or two to serve the people. And we have drifted very far from that. But if you start looking for that same concept, you see it everywhere in our culture today. And it's even drifted into the church, where people use the institution as a platform for power and celebrity and control and influence rather than to serve and meet the needs of people. When that happens in the church, spiritual abuse follows and the effects are horrendous. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So today's message I'm calling Mistakes Were Made. Mistakes Were Made. And there's a man named William Sapphire who once called the phrase mistakes were made. He said it's the artful dodge of an impersonal apology. The artful dodge of an impersonal apology. It's the passive acknowledgement that something went wrong in the past without taking personal ownership or responsibility. You hear this from, from politicians or corporate CEOs who've been caught. And whenever you hear that phrase, someone say, mistakes were made, be sure more dirt, more skeletons are in the closet. Most likely more resignations are going are gonna to come, just a matter of time, right? So this morning's sermon is a very, very important message. 
Mistakes have most definitely been made by churches who have hurt and abused people. And this morning, we're not going to just passively acknowledge something and then try to wiggle out of it. We're going to confront it head on with what God's word has to say about this. What is the root of the problem and how do we make sure that never happens? This is a young church. You know, we're, we're coming up on our four-year anniversary at the end of next month, or end of two months, end of September. We have years of ministry ahead of us. Thankfully, we have a clean slate in this community, but we are filled with imperfect human sinners, right? So mistakes are going to happen in the future. But Doxa Church can't be a church that's about us or what we want it to be about. It has to be about him. It has to be for his glory. We need to be a church for decades and decades and decades who is about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He's the one who's famous. We are in the background. So Peter is teaching about present suffering. And in the middle of that, he takes the time to emphasize what the church needs. They need the right kind of shepherds, okay? Shepherds who will serve and protect and care and feed and lead people out of danger. Shepherds who will deflect praise and put it back on Jesus Christ, just like every song we sang this morning, if you caught that. It's not about what he said or how she made me feel. It's about Jesus Christ and the underlying character trait that must be present to be a good shepherd is humility, because without it, things fall apart. And as I stood back and reflected on this this week, it was really eye-opening for me to think about every different, a lot of different pastors and leaders I've come across who lost humility and started run, running over people. There's a lot of people who've been promised things from a church, They've been maybe prophesied over and nothing's happened. They've tried really hard to fit in. And they've, they, they've been a part of the excitement for a while, but then life just slapped them in the face. There's people who have been flat out lied to by pastors and leaders. There's people who have been taken advantage of. And that's who we're speaking to today. This has happened to me as well. I've, I've felt it. I've seen it on more than one occasion. I won't give you too many details of this story. It's one crazy story. But like when I was in college studying for the ministry, one of the summers I was supposed to do an internship at a church. And I already learned a ton of things from my dad's church. I love my dad. He's a great leader. He's not one of these people we're, that we're, we're, I've just talked about. Uh, but I wanted to try something fresh and, and get a new perspective, right? Like I already understood the church I came from. So I wanted to do my internship at a different church. And I found this church in Florida that looks really, really good. I, they weren't even asking for an intern, but I like, was like, oh, this church will be awesome. I uh, looked up to the pastor, and it all worked out, and I was there. As soon as I got there, I started hearing weird things, comments from, from parents of teenagers and stuff like that. I was like, okay, well, okay. I, I, again, I'll spare you all of that. Long story short, he had made an agreement that we will cover your lodging and your food, and at the end of the summer, we'll pay you a, a stipend. I was like, okay, I'm good with that. That sounds great. And get there, and that did not happen at all. 
uh, he, I was in one house for a while. It was great the first week. And then I moved over to another house. I started doing all this lawn work, basically fixing up this person's house. And they're like, oh yeah, we'll pay you for all this extra work you're doing. Because I put in like 30 hours of work just on this guy's house after a couple weeks in. And uh, then they started deducting all of that money that I earned by working on the house. They're like, oh yeah, we'll take that out of your rent. And so here you go. Here's, here's a paycheck for like 60 bucks. <laughs> and I was like, I can't even buy food with this. So I asked a couple questions, like, hey, this wasn't exactly what we agreed on. Are we sure this is how it's going to go? As soon as I asked that question, contract terminated. Uh, it was like, who are you and what's your problem? This pastor was a domineering control freak. He was one of those pastors who sits on his throne, and everybody around him is yes people. And if you, if you say anything to the contrary of what he wants, you're, he's done with you. So we had this very awkward, like, 45-minute ride to the Orlando airport because, I mean, that day, it's like he, he was shipping me out of town. And we sat in the car for 45 minutes, said nothing. And then as I'm getting out of the car, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, and he made up this whole crazy story. There was this girl that I had uh, seen one of those days, and he's like, yeah, you took her to the beach, and you made the wife uncomfortable that you were staying with. And it, like, none of that was even true at all. I was like, that's, that's not what happened. But this guy tried to belittle my character to protect himself. Then he like handed me a $100 bill and was like, here's some lunch money. You know, just total power move. Um, so I've seen that, and I've seen this, sadly, the next church that I went to after like, my first church in ministry in, in Colorado. It was basically the same song, just a different verse. And I've definitely experienced this stuff. I know how this feels. I know what it's like to get run over and abused and used by people you look up to. It's not a good feeling, and it, and it really pushes people away from Jesus Christ. Some of you have those kind of experiences. And as Peter takes on this subject, let's, let's just get the grid here. He takes two swings at this. First, it's what a pastor shepherd shepherd should be. And then secondly, he comes full circle to how you should follow and respond to the right kind of elders. Because you can slice it both ways. I've seen those great men, great leaders, men and women used and abused by selfish, prideful people in their congregation. I've seen youth pastors hurt, wives hurt, like in the ministry, assistant pastors. Like that does happen too. Pastors get hurt too by people. It goes both ways. But God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So for everyone who's experienced church trauma, where someone failed you, when humility was forgotten and, and someone's agenda and expectations gave you the opposite experiences of what Jesus Christ has for you, those scars run deep and it pushes people away from Christ's church. So if that's you today, we're going past the mistakes were made, and we're going to see exactly what kind of pastor you should be looking for and what kind of church it will create when you're a part of the right kind of church. So point number one today from this text, look back at verse one. The first point is pursue humble shepherds. Verse one again says, So I exhort the elders among you as, fellow, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So here's Peter. He's about to make an exhortation to these suffering people 
There's a lot of pain out there. And he is saying, look, let's not talk about all these empty promises, the deceptive half-truths, present suffering, living hope, and future glory. You can see all three of those things in these, in these two verses. As a witness of the suffering of Christ, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, he's the one we must keep our eyes on. Remember that from last week in Hebrews 12? So he, he's a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. That's Peter. And he's pointing us to Christ, our living hope. There's a bright future ahead of us. Here it is, shepherd. We'll talk about what that means. The flock of God that is among you. So two things here for the elders, and I'm clearly preaching to myself right now and Billy and Blake, but we all need to know this. The church is not my flock. That's, that's the incorrect way to say it. It's God's flock. Shepherd the flock of God. So as a pastor, you have great responsibility to shepherd, shepherd God's people. And notice it also says, the flock of God among you. You can't be a shepherd and stand on a pedestal and keep people at arm's length. It doesn't work that way. This isn't a shiny pastor on a screen. This is a man of God who is ready to roll up his sleeves and get down in the muck and mire if necessary. Jeopardy is a full-time, relentless responsibility because sheep have needs. They have great needs. They can't always protect themselves. They can't feed themselves. They can't get to water by themselves. They can't even do things to heal themselves. Sheep will get very discouraged or lost over pain and injury. They have to have a shepherd tender their wounds. Without a shepherd, they are helpless, easily led astray. They're dirty, and, and they, they, they have needs on all those issues. They need attention. If you don't like what you're hearing right now, just remember, this isn't my analogy. This is the repeated analogy of Christ, God's analogy. And God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So elders are called to shepherd, to care and to give guidance, to rescue and to protect. And there's really, if you could boil all that down to two main functions, right? It's to feed and to protect. Shepherd leads his sheep into green pastures, and you also protect from harm. So as a pastor, it's my duty to do that for you, to teach you the truth and to protect you from doctrinal error. You also have to have the awareness of this, and this is why I'm presenting this to you in your perspective. This is the, this is the kind of elder shepherd that you need to pursue. This is who you need to look for. Sadly, not all pastors are like this. And I heard a former pastor this week talk about something that just made me sad. He, he, he's not a pastor anymore, but he was talking about, he preached this sermon um, a while back, and, and, and then recently he's actually come out that he's actually changed his views on homosexuality. And he got a lot of pushback from that from, from different Christians. And then he got this email. He didn't want to open it because it was from an older person that he knew from this church. He thought it was going to be another attack. And he read it, and he's like, actually, this lady agreed with me. She agreed with the position that I found myself in as I've been deconstructing my faith. And she said that she started changing her mind when she heard him preach a sermon 
And the thing that he talked about in this sermon, one of the last sermons he preached, was you need to listen to a broad, wide variety of voices. Listen to people who don't understand you and who think differently than you. And she said when she started taking that advice from him, that application that he gave, it actually led her to the same conclusion. And he thought that was so awesome and supportive. This is great. But the question that I have, which is the exact question that you need to have in this case is, hey, what passage were you preaching on when you gave that application? Where did that come from in the Bible? To listen to other voices who are different than you. Well, I mean, there are passages of Scripture, right, that says there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. That's true. But that's a far cry from just going out there and listening to all these other voices so you can get a broader perspective. That sounds an awful like what the world says as they push their agenda rather than what the Word of God teaches. So you see how easy it is to slip into like, here's my position, here's my view that I want to give you? Pastors can work that in all the time, which is why you need to stay glued to the text. Where are we at in Scripture right now? Well, we're in 1 Peter 5. We're talking about the right kind of shepherd. It's very important to be fed by a humble shepherd who lets the text speak for itself. And that's a lot less common than you would want to think. It's really easy for a pastor to push their agenda and to mix in a little of their own opinion. This is why I actually preach exegetically, like 97% of the time. We pick a book and we go through the book. I let the, the biblical text determine what the passage is going to be on. And then I explain, illustrate, and apply that. I prepare a message. It, it ministers to my heart. I apply it to my life. And then I allow the Holy Spirit to convict you and, and, and to show you that same truth. The main point of the text needs to be the main point of the sermon. And you stay out of a lot of trouble that way. So what I say better be coming from God's word. Otherwise, it's my opinion and it may be great or it may be bad. I want you to have your Bible open. I want you to be in the text. Make sure the applications that I'm led to share actually come from the text itself. And then listen to the Holy Spirit as he takes that same thing and he convicts you and challenges you with something. So shepherding the flock of God that is among you. There's, there's three more specifics here on how this happens. Again, this is the humble pastor that you need to pursue. So look at verses 2 and 3 again. They exercise willing oversight, eagerly serve without greed, and they're an example. They're not domineering. So let's talk about that first one. This is like the first subpoint of, of this point. Willingly, as God would have you. The word exercising oversight there, that Greek word is the, is the word episkopeo, and it means watching over. You don't need to do this, though, under constraint. And I have seen this happen with a lot of men where they end up just getting miserable. You know, they're feeling the pressure and, oh, my word, the stress is killing me. This happens to a lot of pastors. And, and burnout is very, very real. Where it's, it's all work and it's just labor and I'm just blood, sweat, and tears grinding it out. There's no relief. There's no joy. There's never a break. I'm constantly trying to you know, put out fires with problems with people. 
And so what happens is that pastor ends up hurting himself and hurting his family. The main reason I'm here in front of you today is because I was called into the ministry. People in my life didn't push me into it, but they encouraged me to explore it. And as soon as I started talking to God about it and started getting a taste of it, I just knew I can't do anything else. I was going to study business in college, and I changed, changed that like two weeks before I got there because I realized like even if I make millions of dollars, I'm not going to be happy because I know this is what God wants me to do. And I, I mean, my dad's a pastor. I know I'm not going to make a ton of money, but that's all right. I, I would rather do this and have joy and have fun in life. If you can do something else, literally anything else, don't go into full-time vocational ministry, <laughs> right? You're already in ministry. If you're a Christian, you're already, you can do all, a lot of things, ministerial things, serving the Lord, using your gifts. Just don't go into full-time ministry because it's really not an easy job. Um, when I went to college, you know, I changed my degree right before I got there. I was like, oh, I'll be a youth pastor. That sounds fun. Like, God wants me to go into ministry. Sure, this is what I'll do. And I was in this big ministerial class because it was a Christian liberal arts school. So there was like a couple hundred other guys in my class that were studying to be pastors. And the thing back then was a lot of these guys weren't called to be in the ministry. They weren't called to be pastors. But as what happened, they were just Guys who loved Jesus, they were sharp, and their church just said, oh, you got to be a pastor then. And they pushed him into this. And there's a whole generation of people who are like, all right, I guess i got to do this because I, I love Jesus. And they weren't taught, no, you can be a businessman, you can be a teacher, you can be an engineer, and you can have an amazing ministry in your workplace, in your family. You don't have to be a pastor to do that. Because if you can do anything else, then that's probably what you should be doing. All right? If it's a drag and a grind and you want to give up for an extended period of time, you're going to start straining and you're going to start hurting other people. And that is something that happens far too often. I love being a pastor. I love connecting with people, praying with people, pointing them to Christ. I love preaching God's word. You know, I love all of that. Building something that's going to have an eternal impact, it's incredible. And that's a key component to being a shepherd. You either have that calling that's kind of unexplainable, you just know you have it, or you don't. And that, is, that has to be the driving passion. Like, I must obey God. He has called me to this. He's equipped me for this, and I can't do anything else. If you don't have that, you're going to feel stuck. Second point there, he says, is you don't need to do it for shameful gain. Now, as I said, being a pastor isn't the easiest job in the world. So you deserve to be paid decently for that. Okay, you really do. There's nothing wrong with pastors being paid, paid enough to live comfortably. There's no reason to make your pastor struggle and make ends meet. And that definitely doesn't happen in this church. And I'm very thankful for that. It's, it's, it's enough to have people problems to handle, the last thing a pastor needs is to feel the financial pressure to eke out an existence for his kids and family. Paul says that a, a minister is worthy of double honor. So it's only right and honorable to take care of your pastor. But being in the ministry is not 
primarily about administration. It's not about programming. It's not about creativity and ideas and entrepreneurship. All of those things help for sure. But at the end of the day, when you boil it all down, it's about shepherding people, which is a beautiful thing. It's about feeding and protecting God's sheep that are among you in your local church. So a shepherd can't be in it for the money. Uh, my boys and I actually watched a documentary last week as well, and it was, it was a documentary on this, on this television show called The Chosen, which is about the life of Jesus Christ and his disciples. And they did this documentary where they took like 10 Generation Z uh, people and who, who weren't really following Christ, weren't involved in church, and they actually didn't tell them that they were going to watch a show about Jesus, but they brought them in, and they had them binge this show, and they recorded their reactions and interviewed them about like what they thought. It was a really fascinating documentary to see people who don't know Christ or are far from Christ, have walked away from Christ. Maybe some of these people had been hurt by the church to see how they responded to that, that description and depiction of Jesus. One of these guys said that he grew up in a cult, and he was talking about how, how being in this church as a kid, they, they, they built a, a home for their pastor, and their pastor was paid really, really, really well. And then this same pastor, as a teenager, was pressuring this kid to give a whole bunch of his money to, to him, to the pastor. That guy doesn't follow Jesus Christ anymore, right? He felt that abuse, that distortion of the gospel. That's, and that's terrible. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. If you felt something like that in your past, I am very, very sorry you experienced it. Maybe you've had family like that. And mistakes have been made. There are dishonest, shameful men who take advantage of others, and it's wrong, it's unbiblical, and that's exactly why Jesus overturned those tables because they had turned the place of worship into a den of thieves. They were ripping people off. The final specific that we get here for this exhortation to the elders is to be the kind of man of God, to be the kind of man that God has called you to be is very similar to Paul's exhortation to Timothy. It's to be an example when Timothy was becoming a pastor. So you need to be eager to serve, not domineering. And this is another one of those common themes you see again and again with pastors who are about to fail. The ones whose success has gone to their head and changed them. They get narcissistic and nasty and they bully people and run over them. And many times it goes back to the fact that they're smart, they're good leaders, they're gifted and talented. I've, I've witnessed this firsthand. Then you start running over people and you stop listening to constructive criticism, and you start commanding people, and, and power and influence can corrupt even the best of people. So if shepherds don't have accountability in place, and you also see here elders, plural, like there's, there's clearly a plural sense here. This doesn't need to be a one-man show. He needs to have that accountability and structure in place. Get it somehow, some way. But... God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now, there's a lot more that could be said on all of this, but before we turn the corner and focus, you know, specifically on you, the church member, I just want to say, 
that if you have experienced the abusive power and spiritual authority that twists things for their own benefit and just run over you before, please just take the time to grieve. It's okay to do that. You really need to. You, you see a lot of prayers in the Bible that are prayers of lament and sharing in the appropriate time and place. Give yourself the time and space to work through that. Don't just dismiss it or excuse it away or pretend it didn't happen and shut, shut it down and never talk about it. You have to grieve that. You will repeat what you don't repair, they always say. And life isn't always great all the time. We don't always live on the spiritual mountaintop. I love it when we get there. I absolutely embrace it every time it happens. It's awesome. But there are plenty of hard things to work through in life. There are sick kids and, and, and parent, uh, you know, disciplining and parenting your kids. There, there are workplace problems and, and all kinds of issues. There are students who have to deal with a whole environment that is opposed to Christ and antithetical to God's way. There's a lot of difficult things that we have to work through in, at times in life. So when, when these things, these hard things happen, and these spiritual abuses happen, they affect the mind, the body, and the soul. And the only answer is our living hope, Jesus Christ. You have to turn to him. Grieve and then just hand it over to him. Look to him and don't try to solve it yourself. Think about Job. In the Old Testament, he loses everything, right? And then his friends come along. And a lot of what they said was fine. But the more they kept talking and talking and talking, and the more they opened their mouth, uh, the less helpful it became. Well, we'll just say that, right? The less helpful it became. And as you go through the whole book of Job, and it's a very long book, there's a lot there that, you know, it's man. <laughs> it's their opinion. There's a lot of that there. And Job is, is questioning God as well, which we have, every, we, have, we have the ability to do that. And then when God comes in the whirlwind and speaks to Job, Job is overwhelmed with the smallness of himself. And the clear undercurrent of this book is that when God reveals how big and majestic and sovereign and in control he is, and how Job is a speck of a speck, Job is actually satisfied with that answer. He's actually good with that. Like, wow, okay, you are here for me and you are with me, God. And even though this has been awful, I love you, Lord. I love you, God. We have to look to him. God was present. God did show up. And when you see the larger picture and you see how you play a part, a small part in the much bigger picture, we can get victory through that. We can get healing and we can move forward. So please don't rush to rationalize or ignore sorrow. Stop resisting grief and just go back to Jesus. Hebrews 12, the author and the finisher of our faith. Matt, Matt spoke on this last week. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And it goes on from there about your struggle. 
And it exhorts you to remember that Christ knows exactly what you're going through. I don't understand everything you're going through. No way. No one in this room understands all the things that you are going through except Jesus Christ. Because he was God and he humbled himself and became a man. He came down to this dirty, sin-cursed world to suffer and die to pay the price of our sins so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty of our own sin, so that we could have life in him. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, verse 4 contains a promise for every pastor, this, this promise of the unfading crown of glory. I'm a very big believer in the rewards in heaven, these crowns that we do earn. This one is specifically for pastors who are, who are, who are shepherding people. And I take that very literally, and I'm excited about that. Um, but let's transition from, what, from that to the next couple points here. And this is, this is not, you know, we're moving past what you should expect from a pastor and let's start talking about what God expects you to do in response to the right kind of leadership. This is going to be pretty quick because they really go together. The point two is place yourself under submission. Look again at verse five. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When you are following a humble shepherd, you have to remember that you aren't in charge. Do you offer accountability? Yes. Yes, you do. And members of this church, if you're a member here, you've heard me talk about this. You're encouraged and exhorted to come to us with questions. If you have a problem, you see something you don't like or don't understand, please, like, door is open. Let's talk about it. You know, we, we, we don't have it all figured out. And we always want to receive that feedback. Feedback is the breakfast of champions. We want to solve problems. There may be something that we don't see and that you're looking at it from another angle and, and you see something. And then maybe we can explain our perspective. of like, oh, hey, we're, here's what we're trying to do. But it's very important to have those kind of conversations. It's one of the ways we get better is by analyzing what went wrong. What were the wins? What were the opportunities? We do that every single Sunday. Because we want our church to do the most it possibly can for the glory of God. That's our goal. Let's, let's, let's do this well. Let's do this great. Let's do this with excellence. But something that is vanishing today, and, and many, there's many reasons behind it, I think spiritual abuse of authority, that is this stolen valor concept is one of them. Uh, mistrust of institutions is another. But something that is missing is that people have lost respect for the position of an elder. I was talking with a guy this week, and, and he mentioned how in this area, you used to give, dis, uh, golf courses used to give discounts to pastors to play golf midweek. It's like, oh, yeah, you're a pastor. You get a nice discount. Midweek golf. You know, not as many people play midweek. Courses don't do that anymore. There's reasons behind that, right? People probably abuse that. People lost trust in the, in the position of a pastor. Bad taste in their mouth. It's sad, but that's where we're at. There's going to be mistakes made from leadership and from people. And people will start to think, well, I can do it better. 
And yeah, maybe you could. Maybe you could, but there's a good way to go about that and there's a destructive way to go about that. So the point here is clear and direct. Be subject to the elders God has over you. And we talked a lot about submission a couple months ago, back in 1 Peter chapter 2, being subject to the government and to every human institution that has authority over you. It's not the same as rote obedience in, I have to obey, like a robot. It's, that's not the same thing, right? What is submission? It's this respect where it says, all right, I'm going to choose to honor and follow your lead as long as you're doing things God's way. So for you to take that position where you put yourself under someone else voluntarily, that's submission. It's not a, I'm more important than you and you will follow me and obey me. No, it's like we're equals. Submission is involved with equals. And they say, I'm going to put myself under you because this is God's plan. And this is the way we can both maximize our lives for the glory of God. That's the right heart. For you to take this posture, it takes humility. And that's the final point today, point number three. Clothe yourself with humility. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And when you do this, great things start happening. This is really when God starts to move. This is when the church starts functioning as the body of Christ. And if you remember here, you've heard me go over this too. Our church is Jesus-ruled, elder-led, congregational accountability. Jesus is the head. He is the vine. He's the source of life. And we are to embody the mission that he gave us on this earth. To fulfill the Great Commission. It's the statement of our church. And we can never be exactly like Jesus, but we can grow in our love for him. And as we grow in our love for him, we start to love the world with the love of Jesus. And Jesus' love, this is shocking. He came here as a man with humility. He humbled himself. He was a servant leader, right? That's Jesus Christ. Look at Philippians 2. I want to close with this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Follow along with me. Just a few pages back. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort for love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Men make mistakes. Women make mistakes. Kids most definitely make mistakes, right? But we all do. We all do. 
And we aren't here to minimize that. Those mistakes are called sin. It's missing the mark of God's holiness. And whenever you do something that is opposed to God, sin, it's the opposite of God's character, right? God is just. God is loving. Well, if you're dishonest and you're cruel to someone, you're sinning because you're the opposite of God, right? So whenever we make these mistakes, we'll call it sin, and we, we end up hurting people. You can never just sin in a vacuum. It's never just about you. It always is going to have an effect down the road on someone else. I can't fix all of the mistakes that people have done to you. I can't fix all the mistakes churches have done to you. And I can't even promise that we won't make mistakes in the future and mess up and do something that's, that's hurtful. But in every enduring relationship, you have to have repentance and forgiveness. You have to. And as long as we're human down here on this earth, we're going to make mistakes and we're going to have to own that and we're going to have to confess that. And then it's our responsibility to look to Christ and to forgive. That's part of the healing process. That's how you get victory and move forward. How do we, how do we forgive someone who has done something incredibly harmful and destructive to our inner being? How do we do that? Well, Ephesians 4.32 says, that you can forgive because Christ forgave you. Again, we have to put our eyes to Jesus. The only way we get this victory is, we, to, to, is by forgiving. And the only way we really forgive someone is by saying, you know what? Look what Jesus forgave me of. Look what Jesus did for me. I cannot believe this. I'm blown away by the mercy and the grace of God because he forgave me. Absolutely, I forgive you. And when you do that, the pressure is released and the grief starts to fade and diminish because you're overwhelmed with the joy of what Jesus has done for you. That's the secret to getting victory over pain and sorrow. Jesus Christ is our living hope. He humbled himself. He became that man who suffered and died for you. Mistakes have most definitely been made by a lot of leaders, a lot of elders, and by a lot of different people, sheep even, in reaction. But Jesus is our living hope who makes no mistakes. I'm gonna put this up on the screen for you. You might need to write this down, all right? We have and we will make mistakes, but Jesus makes no mistakes. questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.